That beautiful song. My. Julia is here, and those of you with children can meet her at the back and get your Bible bags. The rest of us, we're going back to the Old Testament today, to Psalm 118. Go uh, almost immediately to the middle of the, of the Word of God. You'll find the Psalms there, the great hymn book of the uh, Jewish people. And we're going to uh, just read the first 17 verses of this Psalm, 118th Psalm. Next Sunday, of course, will be our Thanksgiving Sunday. It's actually this year, it's the last Sunday of the Christian year, Christ the King Sunday. And so it's going to be a, a wonderful celebration. And the next Sunday, we're going to do a contemplative beginning of Advent in the first Sunday of the new uh, Christian year. The theme of our text today are, are themes that touch us every day of our lives. Love, gratitude, trust, safety, each of them help define not only who we are, but how we live in this world that is so much in danger. Do we have love? Have we experienced love in the purest, fulfilling sense? Are our hearts filled with thanksgiving? Or are our hearts set on other things? Do we trust in God? Do we truly trust in God? Do we look to God for safety? Or do we, in fact, set our hopes on something else thinking that that will be our security and our protection. To focus our thoughts today, we're only going to look at three verses. We're going to look, first of all, at the very first verse and meditate on the fact that the verse calls us to join together to give thanks to God. And it's a, it's a call of worship, actually. This is a wonderful hymn that is designed for worship. And it takes more than my voice and more than your voice to give praise to God. So we gather together and we join together to give praise and gratitude and thanksgiving to God, our wonderful, loving, good God. We're going to focus then on verses 8 and 9. Now verses 8 and 9 teach us how it's better to trust in God than it is to trust in a human being or to trust in the government's princes and the government's ability. Now these are related, of course, because thanks to God is given to the one in whom we place our trust, for he is trustworthy, and it changes the nature of our lives by who we trust. Now, as I said, we're only going to read the first 17 verses of the psalm, but I encourage you today to read the entire psalm. 118 is one of the most beautiful and dramatic and important of the psalms. Each verse, the scholars tell us, is designed as a complete thought within itself, and that's unusual in the Psalms. They come in bunches, but you could take each verse and just meditate on it for a day and just think about the truth that is being communicated through that verse. One scholar likened it to a tree, another to that of a, a garden, where each verse is like a branch of a beautiful tree, or, or each verse is like a flower of a many-hued garden. And Together, they create this wonderful sense of God's presence and power, the ability to trust him in the uncertainty of this world and to know who he is and to experience his love. Now, we don't know who the author of Psalm 118 is. It's not a psalm of David, and as I said, it's a unique psalm, but it has a feeling of worship. It has a feeling of wisdom. The verses, by the way, giving a complete thought is like the Proverbs, the, wi the wisdom literature of Scripture, where each thought gives a truth that you could, uh, if you followed, would bless your life and would allow you to live in the wisdom of God. 
So let's start verse 1 of Psalm 118. This hymn of thanksgiving to God for his steadfast love, trustworthy care, powerful deliverance, and his safe refuge. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures for, uh, forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And that follows up on what we talked about last week and the wonderful promises of Scripture of eternal life and the life that God lives. Not only does he protect us here, but in our eternality. So keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that in all things we come to you as blessed and dear children, loved and in, with an enduring, everlasting love. And so as we live in that place, I would ask that you be with every person here. We're all in a different place on this journey, but we're all connected together like a wagon train traveling across the plains. And we would ask that you would allow us to experience your guidance in each of our hearts and each of our minds and together that we might find your truth and your eternal ways. We will do it all to your glory and to your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, both thanksgiving and trust, of course, are related together, but they develop in different ways. Thanksgiving, we have found, is in fact a choice. Life has all types of experiences, and the scriptures teach us that in all things, we should give thanks to the Lord. Not for all things, because some things happen that are, of course, something God himself did not want to occur, but they occur and we are to come to him and ask him to make good out of this experience of our lives. And so thanksgiving is a choice. It's a choice that changes the very heart of the person who gives thanks to God, as well as it changes our relationship with God. Trust, on the other hand, is a learned experience. We learn usually the difficult way of knowing who to trust and who not to trust. If we trust someone who is not trustworthy, they will oftentimes harm us. Counselors call that trust trauma. A trauma is an, a traumatic experience in which we placed our reputation, our heart, our uh, 
fellowship, our uh, companionship, our business. We placed it in the care of someone and they traumatically did something that damaged us, that hurt us, that harmed us. When that occurs, we learn in a difficult way that we can't trust all humans, but we also are damaged in our ability to trust any human and even to trust God. And so if you have enough experiences of trauma in your life, you find it difficult to trust in God. Conversely, if you trust someone who is trustworthy and they care for you and they, they protect your heart and your reputation and your mind, your business, everything, and they're trustworthy, you not only learn who to trust, but you also find it more easy to trust God for your ability to trust increases every time you find a trustworthy person with whom you can share your life. Now, I'm sure it's obvious to all of us that these two areas of thanksgiving and trust are directly related to love and safety. It's easy to be thankful when we're loved. And of course, being safe comes from being in relationship with a trustworthy person, someone that you can trust, someone who will protect you and care for you. It's interesting as a side note in all of this, but it relates directly to it, that we've identified these two needs of safety and of love as foundational needs in a developing life. Here in the Western world, we call it a need hierarchy, and the individual is primary in our Western world. We're individualists. And so in Maslow's need hierarchy, he puts safety and love just above physical needs. If you've got air and you've got food and you've got water, then you need safety and you need love. But in most of the rest of the world, in fact, in many of the cultures that have now come and become a part of us within the United States, the individual is not king. Uh, Self-esteem, self-actualization, me at the top of my pinnacle of my life is not uh, the goal of life. In these cultures, scholars suggest that the basic need is the need to be loved and to belong to the family not just your own unique family, but the family of God, the, the church family. And that's even more vital than the need for food. You would much rather give up food than to give up uh, being a part of the family. Next, of course, is the need for reciprocal love, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that is where peace and safety and trust enters into the relationship. And then you go on up the category and you find that in this sociocentric rather than individualistic world, having the esteem of others is the primary thing. You know that you've arrived when everyone esteems you and thinks well of you. It's not self-esteem or self-actualization, that's the top of uh, that pyramid of life, but it's rather ultimately knowing that what others think about you is the most important thing in your life and it should govern everything else. Of course, as I was looking up this in the internet, I found that there are some people who are saying in the 21st century that our deepest basic need is for Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I got that off the internet, <laughs> so. But setting aside our supposed need for computers, the question that has founded our American way of life is the pursuit of happiness. But how do you pursue happiness? This pyramid puts two complementary panels, noting that possession, security, 
satisfaction uh, in this physical world is one half of the process, kind of an external part of it. But the other half is respect and creativity and trust and having relationships that matter. Now, I would not argue with uh, this pyramid except to say the purpose of life is not the pursuit of happiness, regardless of what American documents may say. Our basic need is not for happiness, but for love, belonging, thankfulness, security in the hand of the one who can keep us safe. Our highest need is for God's esteem of us, God's actualization of us, not self-esteem or self-actualization or esteem by others being accepted by others, but it's God actualizing his love within us in such a way that we become thankful, secure, trusting, trustworthy people. It's a whole different way than human beings think. It's a God-designed reality within our lives. And we would, in fact, turn the pyramid upside down, and it would all rest on God and his power and his presence in our lives, that that provides for everything else. So let's go back to the teaching of Scripture, and let's focus first on the attitude of gratitude, this thankful heart, this being loved in an enduring love that will last forever, which, of course, includes life beyond this life, eternal life, we will not die, as the psalmist says it. Now, to live a thankful life, what does that look like? Well, the psalmist gives us a simple formula. It involves two aspects of gratitude on our part in response to two qualities of God. First, we give. We give thanks. Giving is a choice. It's not a requirement. Uh, we don't have a debt a demand, a duty, it's a gift. And it's, of course, a response to the gift of undeserved love, an enduring love, an eternal forever love that allows us to live in relationship with the Creator in a great gratitude for every breath that we take, for every person that we love, for every moment we get to be a part of something larger than ourselves, and allow his kingdom to come to earth, just as it is in the eternal realm. That reality is what creates our faith. People who do not know God and who study Christianity or religion from the outside looking at the human factors, the social psychology of it and the administration of it and so on, have lots of opinions about why they think we come together. Some say that, that we have a sense of debt for the wrongs that we've done, and we're trying to appease some sense of debt. Others say that we have a, a sense of duty that we want to fulfill to some higher power, some deity of our own creation. Or some others say that we feel a demand of society that if we're going to be a good person, we need to be a religious person because society values that. But none of that, of course, is, is why we actually come to be with God. Those of us who know God come within this whole relationship in a whole different way. Christian faith starts from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way through the Exodus to the Gospels, the Epistles, and it's clear that we're here because God first loved us. 
He first created us to have a love relationship with people who are free to love him or not, to be in relationship with him or not. And when he loved us, that created the opportunity for us to love in return, to love him and to love others, and to be able to find something that is so much deeper than the temporary nature of this world. And a love that goes beyond the grave, a love that is eternal and everlasting, a forever enduring love. Our gratitude then, our worship back to God is simply a giving that we give back to the one who has given us everything, life itself, love and joy, the ability to enter into an experience that so far transcends our own self-esteem or self-actualizing or the group's esteem or the group's acceptance, but it's something that in fact fulfills us no matter what the group says and no matter what we even think of ourselves. It's God's opinion, God's esteem, God's valuing of us that changes everything about us. Gratitude then is a gift we give back to the giver because the giver has provided all. Now I know that, that not everybody has a thankful heart. Uh, it is so easy for us to get caught up in hearts that are filled with all kinds of criticism and self-criticism and, and anger and resentment and grudges. But in virtually every case, the choice to give thanks, and it's a choice to give thanks, is the healing of an ungrateful heart. We've long noticed that it's not the happy people who are thankful, it's the thankful people who are happy. It, if we make happiness our goal and we pursue happiness, then we will focus on the happenstances of life and what happens to happen to us will make us happy or sad and we will go uh, into disappointment and criticism and, and anger, even resentment when things go poorly because we focused our attention on the shifting waves of this world and the shifting experiences of happenstance. But if we choose to give thanksgiving in all things, God is present with us. And we create then an attitude of gratitude because God is good. And God has a love that is enduring and everlasting. And we can trust in him with life now and life beyond, for we will not die. Importantly, this phenomenon of joy is not a prisoner of the happenstances of life. You can have deep and abiding joy, even in the midst of tremendous sorrow. I had Amber read the statement from Doug because you cannot miss the joy that Doug feels in the midst of the great loss of his father and the awareness that this world is so much more than that moment of his father's death. The same is true for all of us. This life is not something that is, is uh, a happenstance and we're victims of what happens to us here. We're connected to the one who makes all things work together for the good of us and all who love him. And we're in the midst of that relationship together. That joy, of course, swells from deep within us. And it's not connected to how we might be feeling today, physically or emotionally, about the different things. Happy, happiness is an emotion and a feeling, and it comes and goes. But that's not who we are. We are persons created in the image of God and connected to him. And there's a joy that no matter what happens, we can live in the safety of God's enduring love. And we can give gratitude to him. 
So our act of gratitude is to give thanks to the Lord because he is good and he loves us with a forever enduring love. But now that brings us to the second part of the teaching. We oftentimes put ourselves in the hands of people and of princes and then wonder why we feel unloved, unsure, and unsafe. The word we translate refuge is in fact the Hebrew word kasah, and it means to seek refuge, to flee for protection, to put trust in, to confide in, to hope in. Now, it will only take you a second, I'm sure, to think of the times we trusted in a human and confided in them, put our hope in them, only to be betrayed by them. Our heart, our reputation, our career, our safety, it was theirs, and now it's in danger, for they are not trustworthy. In a human being, we are not safe, for if we put our trust in humans, we have only the ability of them to protect us. And if there's anything that history has taught us from the time of the psalmist to today, you cannot trust in princes or presidents or governments or programs, however well-meaning and however intelligent those leaders might be. In recent years, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with fellow followers of Jesus Christ who are being taken over by fear. The fear is fanned by our media and by our bloggers and these input that's coming, but for reasons that are making us susceptible to their manipulation of our sense of safety and security, we have become seduced into placing our trust in humans, or we've sought refuge in our investments, or we've placed our hope in princes and presidents. And what I hear most often is that if we only had a different prince, if we only had a different president, if we only had a different human as my husband or my wife or my employer or my neighbor, then. I'm sure you realize that these words were written in Hebrew 3,000 years ago to the people of God talking about the reality of human existence. This has nothing to do with the current princes and governments and humans that are around us. This is the human condition. This is the reality. If we place our trust in them, then we are placing our trust in something that is not by, very, by its very nature capable of being big enough and long enough and lasting enough to give us security and thanksgiving. Being thankful to God and seeking refuge in God was the truth when the people lived in ancient Israel. It's the truth as we live in modern America. It is what sets us free to be filled with gratitude, no matter the circumstances of our lives, to experience safety no matter what nation or time we live in, for we serve the one more powerful than anything that this world might temporarily be experiencing or that you and I might be temporarily surrounded in. So the question we want to consider during this time of prayer is a simple one. Ask yourself, do I live in the attitude of gratitude with God? Is that really my place? Is that where I live each day? 
Have I placed my trust in him? Do I seek God as my refuge? Ever-present help in times of trouble, as the psalmist says. Let's spend time with God.